And now I'd like to share a moment with uh, any of the children in the sanctuary who want to come forward, or if you're worshiping at home, just come a little closer to your screens, and we'll have a special moment together. Welcome, welcome. Good to see all of you this morning. Welcome, welcome. And welcome those who are worshiping at home. Come on down. All right. So some of you um, go to Children's Church right after this. Uh, but for those who stay in the sanctuary and listen to the sermon that I offer, if they make it through the sermon, then one of the things that happens after that is we make an offering. The whole congregation has an opportunity to make a gift to God. And this is the way we do that. We have these plates. Have you seen these plates? And we have these wonderful people in the congregation, and we call them ushers. And they come up and they get the plates and they pass them down the rows and back again so that everybody in worship has a chance to make a gift. Now, some people make their gifts differently. They may mail it to the church or make one gift at the beginning of the year or different ways. But this is a sign in our worship that part of what we do in our relationship with God is we share what we have. And then everything that comes in these plates we use together as a church to help people and to do good things in our community and with and for each other. So when you start getting an allowance, if you get an allowance, maybe think about putting a quarter in the offering plate or making a gift to some group or place that helps people. And I think that'll make you feel good too. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for your many, many gifts to us. Everything we have is yours. We want to be people who share because we love you. And so we thank you for the opportunity to share and be part of a church family that can make a difference in your world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you all so much. So you know how it goes. If you are three, four, or five, you can go with Pastor Stacy and Miss Emily to Children's Church. You're four? Are you qualified? All right, good. Well, you can go with Pastor Stacy. It's been such a joy over the past few weeks to be able to pass the plates again in worship. It's something that we set aside during the pandemic especially in those early days when we weren't sure what was safe and what isn't and what would uh, spread the virus around and what wouldn't. So we set aside the offering plates and we put offering boxes in the narthex and in Reed Hall. And then as we got to understand things better and we knew that it was probably safe to do so, it took us a little while to make sure we had the usher team and everybody, all the volunteers ready to do that act of worship. So it was right around Easter that I saw those ushers come down the aisle for the first time, and I almost started crying. <laughs> In part because it was just another piece of our worship that we got to do again. It was a sign that we were in a better place than we had been two years ago. But I'd also heard from some of you how you missed that moment in worship to see our shared giving 
being offered to God as we sing the doxology and the ushers bring those plates back up, that our hearts go with them and it's like together we make an offering to God of, of gratitude and sharing for the good of the congregation and the good of our community. It's an important visual moment, I think, more important than I realized once we were missing it for a while. It has always been part of the life of the people of God to give together, to share what we have together in order to make a difference in our community and in our world. So if you've been worshiping with us for the past few weeks, uh, you know that we're making our way through the membership vows, exploring what it means when we make our promises to strengthen the ministries of the church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness. And as we dive into each one of those, we are looking into the book of Acts at the very earliest church to see what those brothers and sisters and siblings in the faith might have to teach us. So this morning, Skip read for us a description of that early church in Jerusalem. Did you hear what he read? No one claimed private ownership of anything. And anyone who had fields or houses sold them and brought all the proceeds to the church to be distributed. Who's in? Ready? That sounds pretty radical, doesn't it? What an amazing response to the gift of the Holy Spirit among them. And I don't know about you, but that, that raises some questions for me. How long did that last? Is that the way the church was designed by God to be? Is that God's plan for how we do life together? And if so, goodness, we've kind of fallen far from that, haven't we? Well, those are good questions to ask. It's always good to, to wrestle and to talk about these things with others. But what I can do this morning is just offer my perspective I don't think that this is the one and only way that God wants the church to be. I think it was a beautiful and powerful eruption of the kingdom of God in response to the Holy Spirit. And it has some things to teach us. But it didn't take long, just a few pages later in the book of Acts, that we see church doing things differently, depending on where the church was. We find a woman named Lydia who owned a home in Philippi. She didn't sell her home, but she hosted the church in her home. We learn of other Christians in Rome, a man named Gaius who was very wealthy and very generous and supported the church with his giving, but he didn't sell everything he had, and they didn't have that kind of uh, communal purse that they all shared everything together. And so even over the course of the New Testament, we see different manifestations of how families of faith shared their resources together. But I don't think we can set aside this example from the fourth chapter of Acts as, as just too radical to consider. I think those earliest Christians have much to teach us about generosity and about our relationship with God and our possessions. So in order to talk through that a little bit, I'm gonna do something I rarely do, which is preach a three-point sermon you know, the old your three points and a poem? Well, I don't have a poem, but I do have three things that I want to highlight from this text this morning that might help to guide our giving. 
The first phrase that jumps out at me is that no one in that earliest community of faith claimed private ownership of anything. They didn't claim private ownership of anything. They didn't look at any of their possessions and say, this is mine. No one else has it. Sometimes, in my own giving, I have a tendency to look at part of it as mine. It's mine. I'm entitled to do with it whatever I want to. In our giving, David and I try to practice the tithe. We, we tithe one of our salaries, and then because the other salary is, is a self-employment and it fluctuates, we, we look at the end of the year at how we might tithe from that in more spontaneous ways, giving to causes and movements and ministries that we care about and that speak to our heart. And so we look at the end of the year, have we tithed 10% of what has come into our home? But what about the other 90%? Well, that's mine and David's, of course. But I have a tendency to think about that as, well, I can do with that whatever I want to. I even keep it private in my mind from God, as if I'm not accountable to God for all of it, as if all of it is not a gift from God. And when I look at these early Christians, I'm convicted about that. And they remind me that everything we have is a gift and is grace. And our responsibility is to be stewards of it, to hold it lightly, to imagine what I might do and how I might use what I have for the good of my family, for the good of my community, for the good of others. And that means making sure I can educate my children, making sure we can save for retirement so that we're not a burden to our children or to others. That means, in my mind, in some of my conversations with God in prayer, sometimes going out for a nice meal and enjoying the goodness of good food and fellowship at the table. Sometimes it means traveling and exploring the beauty and diversity of God's creation. And always it means giving generously to lift up others who don't have all that I have. So there's an invitation to realize that all that we have is God's and that nothing is private. Nothing is beyond our relationship with God. The second phrase that jumped out at me in this description of the early church is that there was not a needy person among them. They brought all that they had and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed so that nobody was in need. That means people were willing to share with each other what they needed. That means that as a community of faith, there was that deep trust in the apostles and that deep trust in one another, that needs were being met. It means that they were willing to give because somebody else needed it. As we talked about this text in Bible study on Friday morning, David St. Clair, who was at this church for a while when his father was the pastor, he joins us every week from Virginia over Zoom. 
He said his Sunday school class was talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you know that parable, there was a man who'd been beaten up on the side of the road, and three people walked by. The first two were religious authorities, a priest and a Levite, and the third was a Samaritan, sworn enemy of the man who was beaten up. The priest and the Levite, when they saw the man who'd been beaten up, thought, what will it cost me if I stop to help this man? The Samaritan stopped and said, what will happen to this man if I don't stop? And that shifted for me the perspective on giving. Because so often I'm thinking, okay, what's it going to cost me? How much can I afford to give? Instead of what will it cost my community if I'm not generous with what I have? That early community of faith was focused on meeting the needs and making sure that there was nobody who was hungry or without a place to lay their heads at night. The third word that jumped out at me in this text was resurrection. The apostles preached the resurrection. This was a community built on the power of the resurrection. That Christ had overturned the powers of death, that love had overcome empire, that there was a whole new way of being in the world. One of my favorite moments in our service on Easter Sunday is when the choir sings the hallelujah chorus and together we sing the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and everything is different. All of the values of the world around us, the competition, the greed, the accumulation, the commercialism, all of that is turned upside down by the resurrection of Christ who died poor and spent all of his time on the margins with the needy and the vulnerable. And so empowered by the resurrection, they began to live by different values, values of the beloved community, the kingdom of God. They believed that Jesus was coming back any day, and so what is that? Why are possessions important? Here we are 2,000 years later, And I don't know about you, but I've lost some of that sense of urgency that Jesus is coming back tomorrow. But this text reminds me that we are resurrection people, and there's an urgency on how we live our lives today. And if we follow this Christ who's been raised from the dead, then we are called to be citizens of the kingdom of God above all else. And that changes how we hold our possessions and what we do with them. So what does this look like in our life together? How are we generous in our giving in ways that make a difference in God's kingdom? I think about James Blakemore, who 50 years ago gave a gift in his estate to this church. And for 50 years, we've been able to give tens of thousands of dollars every year in scholarships to students who are studying ministry or education or social work. I think about our connection as a United Methodist Church. This congregation pays an an apportionment every year. We give a portion of our income to the denomination so that the United Methodist Committee on Relief can be on the ground right away when a hurricane hits or when a typhoon hits across the globe 
or so that our retired pastors who spent all of their ministries going from parsonage to parsonage can have security in their retirement and health care. I think about the opportunity we have to give together so that someone in our community can have a home for themselves and their family. There are so many ways that our giving matters. If we take the example of the early church seriously, we are invited to be Easter people and to trust that because of who God is and what God has done in our midst, everything has changed. Let us be free to be generous people. Thanks be to God.